it's like if you were a basketball player and you relied heavily on one crossover dribble move, mm -hmm. and that's all you had. And for some reason during a period, it worked so well all the time that it was great. And then all of a sudden, it didn't work anymore. Stop working. And if you can't shoot the ball, if you can't do a pull-up, if you can't drive, if you can't fade away, if you can't pass, if you can't do anything else, you're stuck. And it doesn't take much to beat you. So you have a passion for fitness and the desire to start your own business. But launching a massively successful fitness business is extremely complex. The systems, operations, hiring, firing, coaching, sales, and marketing are critical to success. Where do you even start? This show will give you the answers. Here is Bedros Koulian and Bryce Henson, your hosts of the Fitness Franchise Podcast, a show dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs launch and grow successful gyms. Welcome back, friends, to another amazing episode of the Fitness Franchise Podcast. And before we tee up today's guest, I want to give you a reminder to give us a like and subscribe on YouTube and write us an awesome review on iTunes that we, we can keep producing this content for you for free. So now today's guest, who's a friend of mine, and after spending seven years in the fitness industry, he started Loud Rumor in 2009. Now since then, his agency has grown to over 45 employees and over 2,000 clients serving over 50 fitness franchises globally. Now on average, Loud Rumor's platinum clients grow 12.8% in their first year, and his top 5% are netting $1 million in revenue. Mike Arcee, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bryce. Thanks for having me. Dude, well, this is awesome. I want to first acknowledge you for making the trip in uh, from Arizona. A quick day, but uh, value that. And I know we're going to uh, add a lot of value to our audience. So welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, man. I actually got, I got home last night at 1130 at night from a six-day trip Ooh. in Texas. And I was contemplating just going right from you know Texas to here but I had to go see the family. So I, I literally woke up the kids last night at like midnight to say hi. And, and then this morning before school, and then I just took off to come here. Good man. And I also know <laughs> before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, it's your actual anniversary today. So I want to acknowledge you and your wife. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's actually 14, 14 years that we've met. Today's our met anniversary. Good on so you. So we have a met and a wedding. And we we're talking offline. Your wedding is in April. Wedding's in April. Cool. Yep. Uh, well, Mike, my friend, a lot of great uh, stuff. I'm excited for this show, considering how accomplished you are. Uh, before we get the nuts and the bolts and the marketing and the business, um, why don't you tee this up with our audience with the backstory? Yeah, so uh, backstory of Loud Rumor. Uh, backstory of you, of and we'll me. kind of get into Loud Rumor. Okay, high, super high level, and then you pick wherever you want to talk more. Sure. Uh, so born and raised in New Jersey um, on my 18th birthday, moved out to Arizona, I was always into sports and fitness, so boxing uh, and martial arts was something I was doing uh, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Prior to that, it was basketball. And uh, I don't know if you remember those years, like when you're 18, 19, that's when you start, your body starts going from like a boy to a man. Oh, yeah. Like you start getting like filled out more. Well, mine wasn't. So I was fighting people that were getting bigger and I wasn't. So at the time I was going to school for computers, it was called at the time, it's 2000. Now it's so many different things within computers. but. I switched my major to personal training. Uh, basically, they had a certification program for personal trainers because mm -hmm. I figured I can't afford a personal trainer, but I need to learn how to put some meat on. So I did that, and then part of the curriculum was you had to take on a client. So I took on my aunt, and I thought it was so cool. So then rather than being a waiter while going through college like I was, I decided to apply for a job at LA Fitness. Nice. Uh, became an assistant manager, which really meant salesperson. I'm not managing anything. It was just a cool title. 
Um, <laughs> all I did was sell personal training to members, and uh, I did that. I really enjoyed it. I, I did fairly well in it, and uh, was in the fitness industry for almost a decade. So you got the fitness industry, but also like huge value and experience in sales. Uh, well, if you know anything about the fitness industry, like big box, it is 100% sales. Mm -hmm. But prior to that too, I did. I had 24 jobs before I was 22. So I did door-to-door -door sales. I did uh, retail sales. Um, I sold knives. I sold everything, alarm systems. So yeah, it was, and I sold in other languages. I, just, I had to learn how to sell in, in Spanish, actually. Um, because I got paid more if I did. So I, I, they took me to the ghetto in certain parts of Phoenix where it was predominantly Spanish-speaking so I could get paid more and close some sales in Spanish. Um, but then I got married. Um, I've got four kids. i got a, a son. He's going to be 15 in a couple weeks. And then I've got a 10, 6- and 5-year-old daughter. Congrats, man. Yep. So that's overarching. That's, that's the backstory. Um, well, good. Well, I mean, let's transition through. Um, you know, you had uh, business experience, but before we get into live rumor, what would you say, you know, maybe one or two pivotal moments or learning lessons or business experiences that you acquired in your journey to kind of set you up to be, you know, the CEO, founder, and really launch a very, very successful marketing agency? Uh, one was from this guy, Bart. Bart Dunn, uh, he was a former CFO of Coldstone. He was there when they had 40 stores in his tenure. You know, they went up to 1,000. I didn't even know who he was. I was just at a random networking event, like a local thing, meetup. And um, I was just wanting to grow my business so meet people. And Bart and I were at the bar at the same time, and he started talking to me. And uh, I was like, man, this guy sounds, he just sounded smart. You ever mm -hmm. just bump some, into somebody and they just sound really intelligent? Mm -hmm. So then, uh, you know, we talked for a while and he started asking me questions about sales, said that he was, you know, actually a tra sales trainer as well. So let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch. I never realized how little I knew about something until I sat down next to him and how much he knew about something. So uh, I thought I was a good salesperson before that. And then uh, I was like, man, I love to learn from you. I was broke though. And he's like, let's just meet up again for breakfast this Saturday. And for nine months, for free, he met up with me for two hours from 9 to 11 every Saturday for nine months and just taught me the psychology of sales. So I would say that was a pivotal you know, part because that also not only taught me how to sell and the value of it, because sales is important in business, totally, but also the value of mentorship and just the importance of really looking for people that are a lot better than you and have studied one thing specifically for a lot longer than you so that you can learn that much faster. You talked about how off-camera, how you went to Brazil and you learned Portugal because you were in it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing faster, you know, as far as learning goes than being in it. So being around these mentors, it's, it's better than any book. Yeah, so I would say that was a big part of it too. Full immersion. Uh, let's talk about sales then for a second um, because I think that's so critical and especially our audience who's interested in fitness and business and entrepreneurship and maybe, you know, has, a, has had a touch with fitness and wants to be a coach or, a, you know, an owner. Um, but sales is really like the lifeblood of any business. Actually, marketing is what generates the lead and then sales converts that lead. Right. So before we get into the marketing engine, you know, talk about, you know, how valuable it's been, you know, in, even in your role today, um, you're a CEO, you're not specifically, sales not in your title, but every single day I know that you're selling. So yeah. let's talk about that for a sec. We're doing it right now, you know, and so sales and marketing are different obviously or in some capacity or else they wouldn't have different words. So there's a reason why they have, one's called marketing, one's called sales, but in reality, marketing is sales. Um, and, and this is how I kind of started to learn that. So when I first started reaching out to fitness studios, once Loud Rumor became a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then we started niching into fitness. 
So once I knew exactly who my prospect was, I was just going to cold call. And so I picked up the phone. I was just calling fitness studios, you know, 200 calls, whatever I had to do per day. Mm-hmm. And I would get people to buy. And But what I noticed was my, you know, my I had no problem making calls. That doesn't bother me. My contact rate was fine. Um, my book rate was fine. My show rate was lower than I'd like it to be. I wasn't getting a lot of people to show up to some of the appointments, which was really frustrating for me. And then the objections that I got were annoying because I knew that I was good. They didn't know that I was good. And therefore, that discrepancy created a wall that it was very, it seemed insurmountable at times. So then I was like, all right, they need to know me because a ref- when I get referred, they don't even care uh, to see a presentation. They just want to know how do we get started. It's like they need to know who I am. Instead of me being better at building rapport in the pitch, I'm going to build rapport be- before they even know who I am. And so then we started creating you know, videos and I started creating content. We started the GSD show, our podcast. And um, then we started getting you know, leads organically through that. But on top of that, Whenever we did get on the phone with somebody, it wasn't, you know, and who are you? What do you do? It was, yeah, no, I've watched this video. You guys helped me with this. Or, yeah, I've been following you for months. And, and so now the rapport is really great. I may not know who they are, but they know who I am. They know how I help. I might have already helped them. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation was a lot easier. The show rate was great because now they were show, they, everyone showed up. But then the close rate was not only better, but the objections were a lot they were real objections. If, if we got an objection, it was a real objection. It wasn't a, sm- a smoke screen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, it's huge. And it's interesting here at Fit Body Bootcamp, we talk about like the no like, and trust factor and that mm-hmm. process of building rapport and actually being able to convert you know, your prospect. But what I'm hearing from you is you kind of had this light bulb moment that if I can actually focus more efforts on marketing, I can actually build that no like and trust factor even prior. Mm-hmm. So then actually my sales conversion is way easier because they already have that rapport built in. Yeah, mar- marketing is it could be used as sales rapport. You know, it, it's just, if, if you walked in to buy a pair of Nikes and you never heard of Nike before, they're gonna have to build rapport. Right. They're gonna have to, you know, kind of understand you and your pain points and, you know, understand why you're wanting a pair of Nikes in the first place. Then they're gonna have to talk about Nike and, you know, the, what makes them unique and mm-hmm. then hopefully find a match. But at this point, you kind of just walk into the store and you look for the brand, the, the style that you like the most, and then you just pick it. You don't care about, you don't even want to know about the soul. No one ever asks. In fact, if you ask most actual runners, real runners, they don't think Nike's a good running shoe. But the 90-some percent that aren't real runners, they just trust it. They trust it. Right. Because that brand recognition, that... Marketing. Same thing with Starbucks. Coffee connoisseurs will tell you Starbucks does not make good coffee. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the other 97% of the market that isn't a coffee connoisseur. (laughs) They they think it is. It's It's marketing. Because that no like, and trust factor is already built in. So now the rapport doesn't need to be built as much. We can just get right into the heart of why we're here. Yeah. Huge, uh, huge, huge value takeaway there. All right, Mike. Well, kind of transitioning and, uh, you know, we talked about... um, or I want to talk about now, Loud Rumor. And obviously that's you know, a huge uh, focus of, of mm-hmm. who you are and the success you've created. So why don't you talk a little bit about the origin story of that and we'll kind of talk about some key points throughout the process. Yeah, so, so Loud Rumor started um, on accident. So, so really it used to be called Fast Rumor. That's what it really was. It was Fast Rumor. I started this company with my cousin back in 08 or 09. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was going to be like Yelp. It went through a lot of transitions, man. It had an identity crisis for a little while. So it started out as like a Yelp, before Yelp, like anyone knew what Yelp was. Okay. 
And then uh, so we were looking to see how can we get more companies on here and how we can get them to advertise on here. And then all of a sudden, somebody goes, oh, it's like Yelp, huh? And I was like, what's Yelp? And I looked it up and I'm like, way better than ours. <laughs> way better of a company than what we built. And uh, it, like I would rather be on theirs and mine. And it just seemed so far from what we would have built. They had, they had the right capital, everything. So I did my best to continue selling it, but um, didn't really do well. And then one guy goes, hey, you know, can you build a website? We were at a bar. I was at a bar, uh, like four o'clock before you know everything got busy. Mm-hmm. And I was pitching the bar, the GM, and he was like, "Can you build a website for us? That's really what we need." And I was so broke, I just said yes, because I figured somebody could. I just haven't met him yet. You'd, fig- <laughs> you'd figure it out. Yeah. So so we so we <laughs> said so he said yeah, and then and so I charged six hundred bucks. I had no idea if that was drastically undercharging or drastically overcharging. I just threw out a number, and I figured his reaction would give me some guidance and uh he goes, "Okay, and I was like shit i I feel like I should have charged what it didn't matter. I went back, found my cousin who did she's like, "Yeah, I do know how to design websites I was like perfect um she didn't really know how to do them well, but she was excited that we made three hundred bucks she, she made three hundred bucks I made three hundred bucks and then from there, um I was like that's way faster money. I can sell these things, no problem. So we started going and uh, turns out we just didn't want to do the family thing. So uh, we started a new company. She started Fast Fix Solutions, which is more of a repair, virus removal, that stuff. And I started Loud Rumor, mm-hmm. which was web design. And um, you know, I, I still had a job on the side. I, honestly, my job was my main job. I was doing well. I was making like ten or twelve k a month in commissions, selling, doing sales. Actually, I was managing a sales floor. Yeah, I was managing a sales floor about seventy salespeople. So I was making about ten to twelve k salary uh, commission, mm-hmm. and it was all commission. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the economy started really taking a toll on our industry, and so my income went down to like two grand. And my wife, who was an admin at a, a plastic surgeon's office at the time, um, she she got pregnant. Didn't want to tell me she was pregnant because she wanted to wait till Father's Day to tell me. So she told her coworkers, though, and her boss, and they let her go the next day. Really? When the recession kicks in, the last thing anybody wants, as terrible as it is, but you can imagine, is to have an employee on payroll that doesn't produce. Mm. If she's got to be on maternity, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong, and I wouldn't do it to my people, but that's what happened mm-hmm. there. And so she ended up losing her job. Um, fast forward about a month or two later, she ended up getting another job. I still didn't know she was pregnant because now she waited till my birthday, which is July. So she wanted to wait until she got a job to tell me. She did. She told me. I was like, you got to tell them you're pregnant. You're just sucking it in all day. That's what she was doing. <laughs> yeah. She told them they got they let her go too. So she got fired twice in the same pregnancy. Holy smokes. So we're, you know, she wasn't going to get another job at this time. My income was down. Our, we were never going to be able to afford our place. Like we had, a, we had a house. We had a kid on the way. We had two cars. So cars started getting repossessed. We started getting notices about the house. We were eating peanut butter jelly every day for like months. My wife ended up, I told her, I was like, look, you're going to have to uh, make some cold calls because we're not going to get other jobs right now. Like that's how bad the job market. I don't remember. But is this 2008, 2009? 2009, 2010. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right after the the crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the summer of 2009, and I was like, "You're gonna have to make cold calls and just tee me up while I'm at work for people that may want to get a new website." So she would tee it up, and then you would actually execute the sales. Yeah. So I, I actually created a binder 
with scripts. So this is a script for when they answer the phone. And then there's tabs. Remember like the tabs you had in binders for mm -hmm. like science, English, math? Well, mine said like, I can't afford it. Who are you? I never heard of you. Like, so now no matter what, she flipped to that tab and the script was right there. So I basically had a script for everything that I could think of. And then we just continuously added more as we went. And our process was go to Yelp, which we now knew. <laughs> go to Yelp. You're going to type in landscaper, sort by distance, cold call everyone that comes up. And then once you're, you know, every day we went to a new one because I figured we're going to find an industry that really wants this and can afford it, but mm -hmm. we're going to do it by testing a new one every day. So that was the process. So she was doing that. She ended up getting me like eight appointments and she, she oh, by the way, she cold called an average because I used my same software from the floor that I was managing to do this. She was um, cold calling an average of 230 phone calls per day. Holy smokes five months pregnant for five weeks straight and i don't know if you have kids i don't okay if you know any pregnant women or women that were pregnant they're hormonal as it is yeah the last thing she wants to do is get rejected and told f you stop calling me dozens of times per day every day seven days a week especially cold calls i mean these aren't warm leads and she's an introvert she's not like me my wife is not like me at all mm -hmm. so she this was like the mother that lifted a car to save the baby type thing. Mm -hmm. She was pregnant. She's like, I don't want my baby living on the street. Yep. So she cold called for five weeks. She ended up giving me eight appointments. I closed six of them. And I said, man, if she can do eight, I can definitely do more than eight because this is what I do. This is my specialty. This is your zone of genius. This is one of the things I worked at really, really hard. And before you go any further, and there's a lot to digest there, but one of the things that is just so valuable for business um, owners and entrepreneurs is you mentioned that you, you created a list and you were going to test out every industry. And what I've learned in business is like everything is a test. And if you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. Take action. But just view it from the lens of like you're experimenting, you're testing, and then some is not going to work, but that some will. And obviously you're going to lead us down that path. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. We didn't, we didn't ever get that because what i realized was it wasn't so much of the industry as it was nailing my pitch at this time i still hadn't met bart dunn so at this time i was still doing my best i thought i was really good at sales i was managing a sales floor i was top sales guy over at la fitness i thought i was really good mm -hmm. but i'd never done a sale like this those are b to c this is b to b b to b is a different animal it's not the same it's like soccer is similar to hockey there's two three goals in a in a game but it's not like basketball right one's high volume one's low volume but sure. more impact sure and same thing with b2c's high volume right b2b's low volume, low volume high impact, impact right big charges and so very different game anyway um i ended up quitting my job uh october 11 2010 that was the day i quit that last job that i had and then i started uh co-calling with my wife and then from there um you know we started doing websites and little by little people wanted you know, I need traffic. So we started doing SEO. Then we started doing Google ads because SEO started going downhill when all these algorithm updates mm -hmm. came in. Then Google ads costs started rising. So we started doing Facebook ads and now Facebook ads costs are rising. And so we're, we're constant. That's an advertiser's job though. Our job is to take what the market is giving us, what the industry is giving us. It's going to constantly change and uh, be able to make adjustments before anybody else. That's like definition of entrepreneurship, man. Mike, you are like a purebred entrepreneur. I'm curious, how, how did you learn all these skill sets? I mean, from, and you probably weren't the one executing the SEO, but you found someone who did, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken, but how did you have the knowledge to, to shift from SEO to you know, different as, aspects within that business? So I remember I got an email one of those dear sir slash ma'am emails. I don't mm -hmm. know if you ever get those oh, people yeah. that are emailing you from like India or the Philippines yep. or whatever. Pakistan. 
Yeah, and and, and I, I, I wasn't getting enough spam email yet because I was so new in business to where I didn't read them. Now it's like you don't read them as much, but, yeah, yeah. but back then, I was like, I only got like four emails a day. So, <laughs> so I read it. And this guy was like, hi, we're an SEO company in India, and we have a unique model where you don't have to pay us until 90% of the keywords that you choose are ranked on the first page of Google. And everyone was talking to me about SEO. All my, prospects, all my clients were like, oh, we want SEO, we want SEO. And I, was, I did research, I didn't see what it was, but I'm like, that sounds very complicated. So I didn't ever learn it myself yet at the time. And then this guy's like 90%. So I, I was like, all right, call him up. And I go, I get to choose the keywords? He's like, yes, you could pick 10, 20, or 30. Those are the three packages. I go, I'll pick 30. 30 keywords. 30 keywords. And so you won't charge me until 90% of those words are ranked on the first page. He goes, that's correct. And I go, and I could charge my clients that same way. He goes, well, we encourage you to. So that was an easy sell. You know, hey, Joe of Joe's Catering, you know, uh, I know you're going to rank for catering and caterers and Phoenix Catering and all that, all these Mm -hmm. great keywords. Um, bat mitzvah catering, wedding catering, all that. We can do that for you. And here's how I'm so confident we won't charge you until 90% of the words that we come up together, the ones you want to rank for are the ones that are on the first page. And when that happens and we start charging you, fair enough? Yes. So it was an easy pitch. We started racking up clients. And then all of a sudden, Panda updates. I don't know if you remember the names of the algorithm updates for SEO back then. They were all after animals, panda, penguin, hummingbird, all these crazy names. And every time they made a change, all of our clients fell off. So we were just like, all right, phone calls are ringing. I can't focus on sales because I've got to deal with this hot mess of operational stuff coming in. Right. And so then I was like, I need to learn how to do this myself. I'm relying on someone. So then I started studying and learning SEO until the point where I was able to do it myself. And then I figured I can hire people. But still, that didn't change the fact that now I'm in the same spot that he was in. I'm still fighting the algorithms. And I heard about Google AdWords, and now it's like you don't have to worry about that, which to me, I, I feel like that was one of the drivers as to why they kept making those updates. I mean, what a great way to sell Google Ads. You know, consistency. I could be here anytime I want to. So I learned Google Ads. And then from there, we started selling Google Ads for people. Costs started going up, and then from there, we just continued to add more, more platforms. Dude, that is an epic story. Um... All right, so take us, you know, take us to present day. Uh, certainly, you're known specifically, and you talk about niching. I think we talked about in the conversation, even offline as well. Um, but kind of, what's the vision of Loud Rumor? What do you do, especially for audience maybe hasn't been queued in? Uh, would love to kind of hear about it present day. Yeah, so 2015, we were stuck at the same revenue point. We couldn't get past like 42k. And this is about five years in. Uh, it was about six years in. Okay. About six years in. Because 2009 is when we really started doing it. So we're talking 2015 and end of 2015. I was thinking five because you mentioned October 11, 2010. But That's you, when I quit. Which but quit. we already started yeah, yeah. some stuff. Yeah. yeah. So so then I, I was very frustrated. And so I started investing in mentors, which at that time I now believed in because I had met Bart. So I started investing in mentors. And this one mentor said I needed to niche. And I also read a book that he recommended called Built to Sell. And uh, it's all about niching. And I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I can get that. You know, if you have a heart problem, serious, you don't want to go to a general doctor. You want a heart specialist. Mm -hmm. And you'll pay more for it and you'll listen better. And so that's what I wanted. I I wanted to be the specialist in a particular area. I felt value in being that. So uh, I picked dentists first because we had 42 clients we had. 11 11 of those clients were dentists. And we didn't have two of anything else. 
So it just felt like it made sense that we go with this one because we have case studies, we have everything we need, it's already going. Um, the problem is I actually hate the dentist so much that I go to the dentist every three months because my only phobia, I go every three months because I figured if, if they see me very often, there's never going to be a big job to do. You know, and like cleaning so you up your mean room. You personally go to the dentist every three months for that reason. Yeah, I don't care. You say six to twelve months. I'm coming every three months because I don't want anything to get out of whack. Like nice. the, the second you need to do something serious, I'm going to be pissed because you should have saw this three months ago. So, like <laughs> so, that's that's hilarious. I have my next dentist appointment. I think two months from now, but I'm going to be in the area like uh, next week. And I was thinking, should I actually bump that? Now you've just validated that. So thank I you. Just, it's, well, my mom always <laughs> taught me if you keep your room clean, you'll never have a big mess like this. Yep. And so then you just kind of took that philosophy with dentistry. The only thing that really terrifies me. So anyway. Um, it's hard to become a specialist, an excited one, an authentic one, when you actually don't want to be anywhere near one, uh, a dentist. So I decided to go back to where I was and just broaden everybody. And then I met with another mentor, and he was like, look, that mentor was right, but you can't just pick anonymously. You've got to pick something that you actually enjoy. What do you love to do? And he saw that I was you know, in shape, and he goes, are you a fitness guy? Do you like fitness? I was like, yeah, I was in the industry for almost 10 years. Yeah. He goes, what were you doing? I explained to my background. He's like, you really know this stuff. You should do this. Well, coincidentally, as I was thinking about it, because now I'm not committed after what just happened, a, a fitness studio owner walks in the door. She actually owned a studio called Jabs Kickboxing in the next shopping plaza over. She must have saw us on Google, realized we were next door, walked in, signed her up, and we did great for her. And as far as lead gen, but she also had a hard time with learning how to convert the people. She was not really pricing her programs effectively, so she was getting a lot of I need to think about it because of the way she laid out her pricing. Her people weren't doing really anything other than being her minions, so she was doing everything. Mm -hmm. So then, she needed a lot of like business savviness and coaching aside from just marketing lead generation. Yeah, and so then we were really able to make an impact and help. And so then we're like, great, we're good at this. So then we started really just focusing on fitness studios. We totally rebranded. Um, that's when I started cold calling and realizing that I needed to become a little bit more known in order to you know, knock some walls down in the sales process. So I started getting out of my comfort zone and doing all the social media stuff and the videos and all that. Content creation. Content creation, right? And then and speaking and whatever I could get, just I needed to be out there. Yep. And then um, you know, we did. We got, you know, like I said, it, was, it took four it took uh, six years to get to 42 clients, and we got to over 500 inside of 18 months. And then we just kind of kept going. Now we've worked with over 50 franchises, and you know we've got some really successful studios under our belt. And to the point where now I'm I'm even investing in studios as well in order to to test new theories that are really outside of the box that I don't feel as comfortable testing with other people's money. Mm -hmm. So I'm testing with my money, but it's. They're, they're big movements in what everyone's currently doing right now, as far as the marketing and the sales go. Yeah, good on you. Um, interesting, so from shifting from you know sales acquisition, being an entrepreneur, doing everything, obviously focusing on the content creation marketing, let's talk about that, because that's mm -hmm. a skill set in and of itself, and that's just so, so powerful. And I heard Russell Brunson talk about this recently, and actually speaking of a dentist, one of his friends, and I heard this on a podcast maybe a few few months ago, but he was consulting one of his uh, friends who was a dentist, and his dentist was all proud. He went to school for you know X amount of years to become a dentist, and saying that he was the most important person in his practice. And Russell was like, um, "I'm actually going to say no, you're not." And his dentist friend's like, 
you were what? Uh, what? What do you mean? I'm the dentist. He's like, well, you're, you're the second most important person because let's face it, if another you know COVID hits or you know real estate crash, whatever the case may be, you start reducing people. Like you know, you you let go your admin or you let go this person, that person. There's gonna be two people left standing, right. right? The one who's the most valuable is the one who can bring leads in the door, and then you as the dentist are gonna service those. Right. Without the person who leads brings the leads in the door, you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. So it's like the wide receiver saying he's the most valuable. Right. What are you catching? A, a, a ball has to be thrown <laughs> to you, right? Right, right. So, so on that note, and Russell, you know, if, if you're watching this, uh, hopefully I, I hit this story accurately. But the big, big takeaway here is like lead generation and content creation is just mm -hmm. everything. So kind of making that switch and that change for you, like let's talk about that process and also talk about like what it takes from a skill set perspective to become a really good marketer. Um, well, I still think I'm far from being a really good marketer. Uh, every time I go out to another event, I keep finding more people that are significantly better than me, and it makes me realize I, I got a lot to learn still. I, I think like anything, it it takes 10 to 20 years to get really, really good at something. Some of these guys I meet, they're, they're 50, 60, 70 years old. So mm -hmm. they've been doing this for a long, long time. So uh, with that said, our industry, fortunately, like, like fitness studios, you don't have to be the best marketer in the world because most others in this industry are terrible at marketing. So you don't have to be the best basketball player in the world to go win an intramural game at LA Fitness. You just have to be better than everyone in the room, and then you're good. So the good thing about this industry, as opposed to like the auto industry or the real estate industry or some others that have been around for a long, long time, the restaurant industry, like the mm -hmm. franchise restaurant game, the fitness studio space is fairly young. It's very I mean, young. It's, it's been around maybe 12, 13 years, but as we know it, like five. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been, you know, people are changing so many things now, and, and it seems like everyone's starting to kind of do a lot of the same stuff. And the only thing that separates one from the other is like the logo, the branding, maybe the workout, but for the most part, it seems the same. So, with marketing, if you're doing, if you have a couple good punches in your arsenal, it's really easy to take out the guy in your neighborhood because that guy isn't doing anything. Um, they rely heavily on Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. They rely heavy on Instagram ads. So if Facebook or Instagram go out of business, or not, they, not that they would, but like if you just can't anymore, they don't have the faintest idea as to how we're going to go ahead and fill up our studio. They may be able to get a couple, but they don't know how. They don't have the faintest idea as to go fill it up. And that's crazy because when you think about it, what did the world do before Facebook and Instagram? Not, not no, no commerce. Things happened before 2014. Of course, yeah. So. But you get so lazy because we had such an incredible window where you could just be the worst marketer in the world mm -hmm. and just put an offer for a free week, on, free week online mm -hmm. and be able to generate leads. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you get distorted, right? Because now this average fitness studio owner or sometimes even below average in regards to a business owner mindset will get a bunch of leads in, so many that even you could be a poor salesperson and still makes enough sales to fill up a little bit. And now you walk around feeling like you understand business. But really, the only thing you understood was that if you put a little money in Facebook, you'll get enough opportunities to where you don't have to be that good and still do some decent work. When Facebook ad costs started going up, mm -hmm. like they have been over the last few years, now we're starting to really see a trend of there's still six-figure-a-month businesses in this industry, still six-figure studios per month mm -hmm. in this industry. But now a lot of them are starting to come down to like 40K, 30K, mm -hmm. 25K, and they're not really sure why. Um, or they're blaming Facebook or they're blaming the ad agency that's running the Facebook ads. But it's one log in the fire. 
It's just one. It's a tactic versus like the big, greater strategy. It's one thing. It's like it's like if you were a basketball player and you relied heavily on one crossover dribble move, mm-hmm. and that's all you had. And for some reason during a period, it worked so well all the time that it was great. And then all of a sudden, it didn't work anymore. Stop working. And if you can't shoot the ball, if you can't do a pull-up, if you can't drive, if you can't fade away, if you can't pass, if you can't do anything else, you're stuck. And it doesn't take much to beat you. It doesn't take much. just need somebody with two things to mm-hmm. beat you, right? So that's where a lot of people are struggling. So I think as, as a marketer, to be really good, it's not just about going, cool, Facebook ads free week. That's not marketing. That's Costco does free stuff. That, you know, the samples and stuff. Yep, yep. Um, that's not marketing. Marketing is being able to say, all right, first, who is my ideal target market? Who's the person I want to speak to? What do they need to hear? What are the questions that they're asking on an ongoing basis? What are the problems that they're articulating that they need? And what are the problems that they're, they don't even know that they have, the inarticulated, unarticulated needs, that if we were to show them or be able to present, now they want it. For example, nobody thought they needed a heart rate monitor around with their data up on the screen and then Orange Theory did it and now what happens? Now it's kind of becomes a standard for some models that want that, you know, and now all of a sudden you have all these different brands that are starting to do the heart rate monitor stuff. Um, Nobody knew that they wanted to work out with 30 other people in a room for 30 minutes or so and be able to high five at the end. Nobody knew they wanted that until it became a thing. Now you realize how helpful it is in keeping yourself going. So Steve Jobs said, uh, I hate research because people don't know what they want until I show them. And Henry Ford said, if I asked people what they wanted, I would have made faster horses. So that's the importance of understanding unarticulated needs, not just surveying your members all the time. If you survey your members, it's, it's, it's a shit show sometimes because they all want different things. Or they all think they want different things. And if you are going to serve your members, which is fine. You only survey the people that you wish you could multiply over and over and over again if you could. You don't do everyone. So you take your top 10, top 12 people. They're like, man, if I could copy you until I'm filled, I would have the most fun time running this business. And those are the people you ask because if we're going to build anything, we're going to build something for them. Mm-hmm. And if we're, we're going to you know, uh, keep anybody or if we're going lo- to lose anybody, I don't want it to be them. So we got to make sure we build something really great for them. So... From the marketing standpoint now, it's like, okay, you know, who's our target market? We want moms that want to get in better shape, as an example. Well, a mom that is serious about working out, how does she typically think about her kids, as an example? Like, what, what kind of food does a mom that has fitness on her mind, what kind of food does she give her children? A mom that actually cares about fitness and she's got kids, what kind of food is she feeding them? I mean, relatively healthy food, but the big also challenge is just like moms are generally like our strap. They have a million things going on. Um, so I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. Yeah, they, they want their kids to eat healthier. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I, I've never met a mom that, that is in the fitness that gives her kids McDonald's. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they actually brag. I've coached now 33 sports between all my kids. So I've met a lot of soccer moms. I've had conversations with a lot of soccer moms, and I've stood in front of many benches where the soccer moms sit and listen to them talk. And they brag about how 
good of moms they are in regards to food and nutrition. Yeah, oh, I give my kid these shakes because it's vegan, protein, so it's really good. Oh, the naked is way better because the naked is just pee. You don't have any of the you know, pesticides. Oh, I only give them organic fruit, but if you're gonna do it, it's the ones with the thin skin that does it. And I'm just listening to this and I'm like, they just learned this shit yesterday and they're talking about but it they're like they're at, pros. Yeah, they're preaching. But that's what they love. Yeah. So. Now that we know that, it's like, okay, that's what the woman wants. That's what that mom wants. So how do we get in front of her with information that she wants to absorb with the intent to go ahead and reteach? Because once you get in that mind, it's better. Old Spice did it great. Old Spice. Remember the Old Spice commercials? The hello, ladies. Mm -hmm. The guy with the towel. Mm -hmm. Well, prior to that, Old Spice was an old man brand. It was, yeah. Old people wore it. It was, it was weird. That's why I've thought about it for like most of my childhood until recently. 100%. And, yeah. then, and then so Old Spice hired um, WK, the marketing firm. They're the ones that actually came up with Just Do It for Nike. Okay. They hired them and they said, look, we need to figure out what we're doing here because you're serving the old people market. And you want to go after that millennial or that you know, 20 to 40 market. We need to realize that they're not the ones shopping. And they did a, re- a study and they realized that women were the ones that shopped for bathroom stuff for the men of that age group. And so they said, we need so, some women. This is so true. One, I use Old Spice and two, my wife shops for me. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what they found in their data. So it's true, right? And so they said, we need to sell the women. And so now the ad is, hello, ladies, look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. Sadly, he's not me. But if you get Old Spice, he could smell like me. Look down. Back up. Right? And so now all of a sudden it's like we're on a boat. Now you're on a boat with a man your man could smell like. Look down. Back up. Right? So what happens is the wife is, you got that sex appeal. It works both ways. Oh, women yeah. too, right? Oh, yeah. You got the sex appeal. It's kind of fun. He's charming. He's witty. Mm-hmm. He's got that feel to him. And... When they started really talking to the women, I'm the man your man could smell like, sales shot through the roof. Interesting. And they created several videos around that. So it's really important to know who's the buyer, what are they buying, not just with their money, but with their intention, uh, attention. What are they buying so that when you're creating stuff, it's specific to them. So for us, you are all fitness studios. I knew what you guys wanted because everyone's got the same problems, right? And so all of my content was specific to what your challenges were. So it's basically just knowing, you know, your dream client, in this case, you know, fitness studios, and then basically talking to them in the specific language that's going to address their pain points. Mm-hmm. Get their attention first. Get their attention. Right. AKA Hello, loud. Yep. <laughs> loud, and loud rumor, right? Yep. And then from there, you know, storytell and, and really captivate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, love it, man. All right, Mike, um, on that same vein, but kind of, you know, diving a little bit more, uh, as I introed you, one of the things that you kind of hang your hat on is I believe um, just nearly 13% is your growth rate for any new client, you know, coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious on how you make that happen. And then the second part of that question is your top 5% of clients out of your 2000 plus, plus clients are doing a million in sales annually, which breaks down to the magical number that we know is $83,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about those two aspects first, you know, from a new client coming in and scaling up and then what separates the 5% from the rest of the pack. Yeah. So I'm a data guy. So there's three things there I got to make sure that everyone knows. Number one, it's 12.8%. That's the growth per month. Number two, it's not for any of the client that comes in our program. It's for the people that are in our highest coaching program. 
Um, and then number three, it's $83,333.33. That's it. the monthly revenue goal that we've got to get to. To hit a million for, for a year. million dollar over the course of 12 months, yes. So, you know, it, this coaching program, it's a, it's a very important program because even the dentist, like Russell Brunson was talking about, the fact that the dentist thought he was the most important person is a great example that you learn how to be a dentist, but you don't learn how to run a dental office. Mm -hmm. It's a great example of that. And same thing with fitness. What a, what a studio owner doesn't know is that once you, sorry, there's two types of studio owners. There's the one that's an investor, right? I've got, I've got a couple yogurt shops, I've got a few massage envies, and you know, now I've got a couple Fit Body Boot Camps, mm -hmm. right? The investor, for the most part, knows this, at least a savvy one. But a good portion of these you know, uh, studio owners, especially within a franchise, are people that were fitness professionals prior. Totally. And they wanted an opportunity to be able to have a business that can thrive much more than they can do on their own. Right, out. And, and stop trading dollars for time and actually run a business where they can scale and leverage that. 100%. Yeah. The problem is, just like the dentist, once he opened up a fitness studio, he or she, that person is no longer a fitness professional. No. They don't even do that anymore. They are now the business owner, and if it's a franchise, they should really see themselves more as an investor, not even a person that works on the business. You know, we talked off camera, there's working in the business, there's working on the business, and there's working on the portfolio. And I think everyone says, don't work in the business, work on the business, but depending on what you bought or what your plans are, you know, if you if you started a concept, you're going to have to work on the business and in the business, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're the entrepreneur. So you're literally creating like the programming, you're creating the brand, you're creating everything. But if you join a franchise, like let's say Fit Body Bootcamp, well, you don't even have to work on the business. You just have to hire a great GM. You guys call him GM, studio manager? Facility what? leader. Facility leader. I know everyone's got their own terminology. You got to hire a great facility leader that has good experience, that was able, that can show that they've been able to grow a fitness studio or a similar model from you know either nothing to 80K or like 20K to 80K. Um, they're responsible, they, 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 they're being able to help, uh, they're able to be held accountable um, and you have a very great interview process with them. So you know, hey look, every 90 days we're gonna reassess where you're at and if it makes sense, we'll keep you on the team. And uh -huh. if it doesn't, then of course we need to continue to look, look for somebody that can hit these numbers. And so, if you get a great facility manager, like I'm sure a lot of your investor type people do, mm -hmm. they don't even know what, what's happening. They may not ever even go to Fit Body Bootcamp right. Studios, in right? Day to day, correct? Because they're an investor. The big challenge is you got so many studios that don't look at it that way. So, our goal in this program is to really help people look at this business as a business, kind of like when you buy a house as an investment versus your actual living house. Right. When you buy a house to live in. You're in there, you're filling it up, you're painting, you're doing all this stuff. But when you buy a house for the purpose of, of investment, you may never even see the house. I've got, I have two apartment complexes in Texas, I've never even been to them. And also to your lens is just so different in exactly what you look for. It, 100%. Right? So again, we talked off camera a little bit about this, but if I'm, you know, right now, I do not know how to throw a ball anywhere near any professional quarterback, even a third stringer. Right, I could throw a ball with you and I. We can have go fun in the field and stuff like that. And, but I, I, am, I do not deserve a spot on a team in any capacity in the NFL. <laughs> so if I were to, let's say, buy the, the Arizona Cardinals, okay, 
when I buy it, I have to build my team out, right? I need my quarterback, I need my receivers, I need my linemen, I need all this stuff, kicker. But I have to build a team with the mindset of, I'll never be able to throw this ball. So I can't like, you know, hear people say, well, worst case, I'll teach a couple classes. No, you can't say worst case, I'll run a few plays and throw a few balls. The owner can't say that. The worst case, we have to have a plan for us. They have scouts and stuff. A CEO's job, a really good CEO's job, or at least in this particular space, is to build a team, have really good people in place, make sure that you know we set the standards as to what needs to happen. We got our quotas, our required result. We got our uh, goals, our desired result. Mm-hmm. This has to happen to stay. This gets to happen as well, where we have some bonuses, promotions, or whatever. And so they they build the team out, they set the standards, and then they let that facility leader, right, run the business, run the place. You get creative as you want. Mm -hmm. Here's the number I need you to be at. By the end of the year, I need you to have this this studio to 60K, monthly recurring. Right now we're at 30, so we need to increase by $2,500 every single month in monthly recurring or monthly revenue. Now, I don't care how you do it. If you, if you feel like we can get away with raising our prices, go ahead and do that. If you feel like we can upsell some members that are in lower programs, we can do that. If you want to do ancillary sales, we can do that. If you just want to make more members, you can do that. I don't care how you do it. We just got to do it. You just got to increase that revenue by 2500 every month until we get to 60 by the end of the year and have a net profit of 20% and make sure that our experience, when we do net promoter score on our members and on our employees, we have an eight or higher. That's what we need to have. If we could get that done, then we're good. And... If you could set that standard, let them run, you hired a good person up front, you didn't hire somebody that you can mold because you like their attitude, they've actually done it before, then the only thing you've really got to focus on now is constantly recruiting, looking at other studio people because this person might fail, the people underneath them might fail, or you might want to expand if they succeed into another location in which you're going to want to have that pipeline of people to help you build the next locations. So if you can do that, constantly looking for the next place and the next people, I believe you'd be a lot more successful than if you spent a lot of time inside. Amen to that. That's huge gold. So if you're listening to this, I would actually just recommend you actually reverse the tape for the last five minutes because what you just said has been my experience in building businesses and entrepreneurs and franchise systems. That is just so, so on point. One of the things you also said too that really struck a chord, um, and I love the the analogy of sports teams because many people when they go into business, they don't look at it like that, but when you actually like remove yourself 30,000 foot view and think to yourself, okay, if I'm the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if I bring on Tom Brady, if something happens, I'm not going down to throw the quarter, uh, be the quarterback and throw the ball. I'm actually going to recruit someone to do that. And we're not going to ask a receiver to do it because... Because that would just be a disaster in and of itself. Because um, <laughs> so, he'll just run with it. He won't even throw it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so just an incredible framework on how to look at business. And the last thing, really what I'm diving into is you just hit on like recruiting. And I feel like as you grow your business, as you grow your empire, like you have to be a master recruiter because your team, your people is your product. Mm -hmm. So I just want to really reinforce that point, Hall. Right. And then I would also add to that, your people need to constantly be training. Training is not something you did, it's something you do. I think a lot of franchises in the space, at least they do this, independents don't even do this, but a franchise space, they do have a really good onboarding. Mm-hmm. We can do training, maybe it's six days, two weeks, whatever it is. And then after that, maybe they have some calls and stuff. But there's not really a set training in place or like CEUs or anything like that. But you should constantly be training because most of these business owners are not, they're new business owners. So they don't have habits yet. Mm-hmm. And so in fitness, they have habits. So habitually, 
they'll work out. They didn't even have to think workout today. In fact, most people plan their whole day around their workout. They'll plan when they're going to eat. They'll plan when they got to go to the go go to the park with their kid. They plan their workout. It's like fitness people start their workout. Yep. I'm going to work out here. Okay, so when am I going to do this? Yep. And so with business, it's kind of the same thing. Like you start with, okay, these are the metrics we're going to hit. Now, okay, how are we going to build this out in order to get there? And so your facilitator, facility leader needs to be going through training on an ongoing basis. So Loud Rumor has Studio Manager Plus. And Studio Manager Plus is 100% focused on developing these facility leaders, these general managers, studio managers. It, we actually get them connected with each, with each other. So in Vegas, we have a big conference. We do every quarter. Every quarter of the conference is a different theme. It's called GSDCon. This upcoming one in November is all on sales and marketing. And uh, I, I have a suite. Um, so on one of the nights, uh, we got some of our top owners that are going to be in my suite. Fits 40, 50 people in there. So we'll all be there networking. But then the other night, it's all studio managers only. Owners can't go. And so it gives the studio managers a chance to actually connect, share ideas. Because when the owner is there, they kind of tend to bite their lip a little bit. Mm-hmm. But this allows them to share. Bryce, when we get our studio managers around other studio managers, it's, it's amazing. We had one girl, Brooke who works for this guy, Nate. She's an incredible studio manager. I think she's very sharp, but she had some limiting beliefs just based around lack of awareness of what's possible, what's out there. So when Nate was telling her to get a certain amount of referrals every month, and it was lower than what I would even suggest, she thought he was a little bit unreasonable. Like, it's not going to happen. How are you going to do that? People don't want to do this. You know, People don't like being asked for this, all that stuff. She went to the last GSDCon. The last one was on systems and processes. That was in August. And she met this guy, Ferris, another studio manager that we work with. That is, he's a badass. He, he's got like five locations that he actually runs. So he's more of like an area guy now. All his locations are doing over a million a year. Or at least, I should say, it's a $5 million portfolio between the five of them. She saw him on stage because I had him come up and ask him questions, similar to what we're doing right now, but mm-hmm. in front of my whole group. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, Mike, when you asked us to get you know, referrals, you told us what to do, how we do, did it. I paid attention to that. And I got 50 referrals the first day. I got 50 referrals the second day. I got 50 referrals the third day. And now we just get referrals. And, you know, you heard, you heard the audience kind of like go, oh, like, what, 50 referrals, 50 referrals. <laughs> so I was talking. Bottom line is, Brooke talked to him after, asked a few questions, then went to Nate and said, we're under shooting here. We need to shoot for more. I ended up getting on a call with him. Uh, about a week later, um, because I wanted to ask something I, uh, specific, separate from what we're talking about. Brooke sees that I'm on the video call, goes like this, and goes, look at this. She got 73 referrals in her first week. Oh, good for her. I think her goal was 50 for the month, right? And I think she ended up at 160 by the second week. So it's so important to be able to, like I did with Bart, right, to be able to get your studio managers in front of this information and in front of the people that are not only using the information but succeeding with the information Mm -hmm. so they can be successful and open up their minds as well. Because if you just kind of keep them in a spot, you may want to, if you want to really be financially, you know, I don't want to say financially successful because successful depends on what goal you set. But if you want to do a lot, right, if you want to be really, really well off here, you're probably going to want several locations, Mm -hmm. um, 5, 10, 15 locations. And if you're going to have that many locations, you're going to need a good area manager. Mm -hmm. What a great way to develop someone than to give them really those contacts from when they just had that one or two locations 
and being able to be like, wow, so you manage five. How do you do that? Which makes their one or two much seem much simpler to manage, but now they're also developing practices that tease them up for managing five. And also do the mindset and the framework, because I think you mentioned from Brooke, is like one of her self-limiting beliefs is just she just didn't have the visibility of what's possible. She so, could do it. She right. just didn't think it could be done. Yeah, yeah. Love it. So recruiting and then really, you know, kind training. of training. Every day. Training. Our best studios put their people through like 10 to 15 minutes of our video trainings every day. We've got sales certification videos, beginner, intermediate, advanced. We've got leadership and management trainings, beginner, intermediate, mm -hmm. advanced. We've got retention. We've got, I mean, uh, hiring, firing, uh, tough conversations, communication, all that's in there. And so they put their people through 10 to 15 minutes per day. It's nothing. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. It's, you can do it while you're eating your, your meal in between sessions. It's right? just so crucial. And you know as a client, you can tell if a team has been trained or not. You, you know instinctively, like if you're a client coming into a studio or just any business in general. And it's interesting, Mike, one of the things you mentioned, you just got back from Texas. I was actually just uh, in Texas myself. This last week? Yeah. just Where were you? Uh, in Austin. And actually, oh, I go Austin next week. Hell, too funny. <laughs> so Maine, who's uh, our friend and cameraman, was actually shooting us out there. And one of my presentations is actually on training a gentleman named Chet Holmes, a late Chet Holmes, he passed Ultimate away. Ultimate sales machine. Ultimate sales machine. Yep. And one of the things, and, and for those of you who haven't heard of Chet, he studied under uh, Charlie Munger, who's a billionaire with a B, and Charlie Munger was, is the vice president, or was um, with Warren Buffett, who's mm -hmm. one of the richest people in the world. And one thing that he talks about, and Chet talks about in the Ultimate Sales Machine, is most uh, owners of business, entrepreneurs, don't have enough pig-headed discipline and determination to actually run a training program. And, and to your point, it's not something you did, it's something you do mm -hmm. in Chet's perspective, if you train your team on whatever aspect that you need, you know, they need to improve on an hour a week over the course of, you know, a quarter, two quarters, three quarters over the course of a year, like your results will exponentially. They just... won't even know they got better. They don't even know they got better. It, it's like watching your parents get older. It's so gradual. You just kind of become, become that person, yeah. become that team, become that leader, become that coach, become that trainer, become that salesperson. Yeah. Yeah. Training is very important. So. And, and, and we, have, we have one, that guy that has five locations, mm -hmm. he's got like 40 some of his employees going through that training every day. Oh, sure. You know, and it's, it's really good and you could see it. And, and yeah, of course you could see it on the results side, but the cool thing is as an owner through our program, you could actually see it on the data side. You could see how often your people log in. You could see what trainings they go through. You could see what they scored because there's questions at the end of every training. Mm -hmm. They're kind of trick questions sometimes too. And, um, like a learning management system. So you have like have accountability to. and visibility into yeah. your team. Yeah, and you can't forward through. So the way we have it set up is um, if you're going through a training video, you can't forward the video. And if you get even one question wrong on the quiz that follows the video, all the videos are one to three minutes long. Mm -hmm. So it's like a question a minute. So if it's a three-minute video, three questions. If you get even one wrong, you have to retake the quiz before you can move on to the next one. And if you get even one wrong on the retake, you have to rewatch the video for an opportunity to do the retake. So it, it really allows the owner, which I think is important, whether you're using our system or any system, it allows the owner to really see who's bought in because more common than not, the person that's getting bad results also isn't going through training. The person that's getting good results is also going through training. So now rather than chopping it up to a rough week or we had a bad streak or whatever, you can be like, well, look, you're not getting results and you haven't logged into the training in like four days. This guy over here has got seven sales in the last four days and he's logged, he's gone through every training. So what's, what gives, it's, yeah. it's easy for you as an owner to, to make a move and it's easy for them to maybe step up or just step out. Yeah, well you just have that visibility to do your job as the owner and the leader to, to coach. Right. 
Love it, Mike. Man, that's just a lot of gold here. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, uh, you know, your time is so super valuable. I know you're uh, catching a flight back to Arizona soon, uh, but if you'd be so kind, have a few minutes for the lightning round if you're up for it. The lightning round. Let's do it. <laughs> I think you can do it, my friend. All right. Uh, we talked a little bit about your zone of genius, or at least my perceived, but from, in your own words, Mike, what would you say is your zone of genius? Like, Why have you achieved the success that you have? Uh, I don't know if it's genius, but I will say that I've, I'm very clear on what I want now. So, you know, like anything, you want to work backwards. If you say, hey, Mike, I got a fitness goal, you want to lose a certain amount of weight, you start with how much weight you want to lose and mm -hmm. where you're going to look like, and then you work backwards and create the new nutrition plan, the meal plan, or the, the workout plan. Reverse engineer it. Right. So I know what I want to do in my life, how many vacations I want to take with my wife, what kind of vacations I want to take with my kids, um, you know, what I want to have, you know, them involved in, and in sports, schooling, all that stuff. And so I decided on what I want to particularly earn on a monthly annual basis. And then from there, all I have to do is say, okay, well now what, what does my portfolio need to produce in order to do that? And the cool thing is about that is you don't, you don't fall for things that are dumb. Trivial. Yeah, like sometimes somebody will come to you and they're like, hey, I got this great opportunity, I could do all this money, and it is cool, and it sounds like a great opportunity, but it also sacrifices another plan. So one of, that's not just financially, but time-wise, I want to be able to have the time to coach all those sports and be able to be around and travel and all that. So it's like, great, here's a great financial opportunity, but now I have no time. And so you get better at saying, yeah. So I would say, start with first personally, what do you want your life to look like? Then financially, what needs to happen to support that life? Then take that number and double it because you're going to want to take that double, that extra, and you want to reinvest it so that eventually you can not necessarily retire, but live off of your passive income from investments. And then from there, say, what kind of a business do I need to have in order for this to be my cut financially? What does I have to do? And now, how do we build this size business? Is our model good enough to do it? Um, or do we need to change the model? Or do I need to add to my portfolio? So just being very clear on time and money and what you want. Love it. Uh, next up, passion. Um, what would you say today, at this moment in your life, what are you most passionate about and why? I, oh, whether it's personal or business, I like watching someone go from here to here. I love it. I love, I, it's, it's probably a little egotistical, but I love hearing people say, if it wasn't for you. And I haven't had thousands of them or hundreds of them, maybe even, but even if it's a couple, like there's such a cool thing, it's like if it wasn't for you, or if it was, you know, hey, you really helped me with this. Thank you for showing me this. Because of that, I was able to do this. And you can get that with your kids. You can get that with, you know, cousins. You can get that with employees. You can get that with uh, your clients. Obviously, that's easier. But I think that's, for me, I, if I'm going to build something, it's cool to have things. But it's that, that gives me the energy, like re-energize me to keep building things. So where you don't get like burnout. Yeah, totally. Fulfillment, right? Yeah. Um, love it. And I would imagine if you're watching this fitness franchise podcast, that probably resonates with you because it certainly does with me. Mm -hmm. So... Um, all right, next up, uh, imagine back uh, before, you know, the Mike uh, RCM looking today with the success, the CEO, um, what was a limiting factor in your life? What was holding you back? Um, how did you overcome it? Uh, being around the wrong people. I don't think, you know, I was, somebody asked me this a few months ago and they were like, what do you think? Is it books? Is it mentorship? Is it coaching programs? Like what's, what's the thing? And I think it's just about being around people that are already doing, like having a life similar to what you want to have, whether it's financially or like with their family or whatever your values are. 
because naturally they're going to give you the answers of the books, of the podcasts, of the masterminds or whatever. So you're a product of your environment. You can't change it. If you hang around people that say dude all the time, you're going to say dude. If you hang around people that eat healthy all the time, you're going to eat healthy. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very important that you look for ways to surround yourself around people um, that are really doing what you want to do and get done in life. And sometimes that doesn't mean going to conferences so you can rub elbows with yeah. those people. Um, and if you don't have the financial means to do that, even listening to a podcast, it almost like, like you're hanging out with that person. But who you are going to be a product of your environment, period. So hang around winners if you want to start winning. Amen. Uh, next up, uh, advice. And you're in the business of giving good advice to your team, uh, to the people that you consult, the people in your coaching program. What would you say, though, Mike, is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received and why? Good advice that I got was don't define anything based on anything outside of you, So, which is hard because we're naturally inclined to define things, define things based on um, the law of rel relativity. So, for example, if you and I both let's say we're at a barbecue, right? And you were, let's say, getting paid <clears throat> 50K a year doing a certain job, let's say managing a gym, uh, or, or let's, say, let's say as a trainer or something, doesn't matter what it is, any job, right? And then I go, hey man, I just wanna let you know, I've had a great talk with you and I love what you're doing. You're a smart guy. I don't know what you're getting, what are you getting paid where you're at? And you go 50K and I go, I'll pay you 65 to come work for me, do the same job, but do it at my place. And you go, really? But like, you're too good to get paid something like 50. You need to get paid 65, right? And so you go, great. And then you come on board and you're probably showing up to work, dressed up, hair done, mm -hmm. like better than you've ever showed up in the last three months at your last job, right? Mm -hmm. Showing up great. Everything's great. Two months in, three months in, everything's going fantastic. You're super happy. Uh, you work hard. The person next to you started a little after you, not too much after, a little after you, had about the same amount of experience as you. And uh, you guys are putting up about the same amount of numbers, right? Everything's about the right. And you're so happy. You've told your mom, you told your dad, your wife, tell everybody about this job that finally values you and they pay you what you're worth and all that. And then she goes, all right, Bryce, I'm out of here. And she heads out. And you notice she dropped her pay stub. You pick up the pay stub and she's getting paid 75. You're only getting paid 65. But she started after you. She has about the same experience, and she's doing about the same amount of numbers. Why is she getting paid more than me? Do you understand what I'm saying by that, by the way? So 65K was fine. There was mm -hmm. nothing wrong with 65K. You were happy until, until 75K came in. So nothing changed about your 65K. The only thing that changed was something on the outside. This stayed the same, but now it looks, feels different. Now you went from happy, grateful to resentment, um, mistreated. And so I would say a good piece of advice is be very careful, especially with social media. You see all these people that are doing all these things and you have obviously people sharing their wins and you know all that stuff. So it's very easy to see what kids in high school are doing. It's very easy to just look at the kids that are doing great and I'm sure the kids are in jail right now. So when you're, be very clear, like we talked about earlier, be very clear on what you want your life to look like and what needs to happen in your life and then what, you, what does this person need to become in order to have that and then really block out everything else. If that person drops her pace up and she sees that, rather than getting mad and resentful, you know, be like, I wonder why. You know, how could I? What would I have to do? Because maybe there's just something I don't know and then asking, hey, how could I get to this point? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't a way, but the point is don't let outside information 
distort what makes you happy. Yeah, I love it. That curiosity mindset and then going back, um, I'm a huge kind of follower, believer, studier, student of Stoic philosophy. Mm-hmm. And there's a f- famous uh, tagline, comparison is the thief of joy, um, which really just eloquently just sums up that, a great quote. that, uh, that particular mindset. So mm-hmm. couldn't agree more. Um, all right, uh, last two questions. Uh, leaders are readers, and you talk about you know, uh, surrounding yourself with people that will be able to you know, lift you up, which you know, wholeheartedly agree, um, but to also be able to, to recommend good podcasts and book recommendations to really like digest information and make you better. So from a book recommendation perspective, what would be a, a, a solid recommendation for our audience and why? A book that my COO recommended to me that I loved is called The Compound Effect. Oh, I haven't heard of it. Everyone should read this book. I don't care what your role is. I don't care what your goal is. I don't care if you're an employee. I don't care if you're an owner. I don't care if you're an athlete. My son is thir- was 13 when I had him read it, and it was great for him. His school grades went up. Um, compound effect, I think, is good for everyone. Outside of that, the trick is, you know, books are like music. It, it depends on what you're doing. So with music, it's like saying, what's your favorite song? Or what, do you, what song do you recommend? It's like, well, am I squatting max out right now, or am I having a romantic dinner with my wife? Because I'm not going to do Drowning Pool to the dinner, and I'm not going to play Frank Sinatra while squatting. <laughs> well, it's the same thing with books. You know, when when sometimes somebody say like, "Hey, what's a great book that you recommend?" I think it's better to say, "Hey, I'm really having a trouble with leadership. Um, I'm having a hard time with my people. What's a good book you recommend for something like that?" Or, "Man, my finances are out of whack. What's a good book?" Because when you read a book that's specifically talking to something you got going on right now, the words pop off the page. And you like really get into it, mm-hmm. but a lot of I think a big reason a lot of people don't ever finish reading a lot of books they get a chapter two in and they need to go back to it is because it's not really addressing something. So while they're reading, they were thinking something else. They realized I didn't realize I, I didn't read the last two pages, and that's because it's not solving a problem right now. So you're just kind of getting through another book. Mm-hmm. So if right now you wish sales was higher, sales, sales, marketing, sales, marketing. Don't focus on the other stuff because that's where everything, you'll feel like, man, that's for me. Oh, it's me, that's me, that's me. That's how the book's gonna come off. Sage advice, my friend. Yep. All right, Mike, you've added a ton of value today, um, but one last request. What would you say uh, for our audience who are interested, again, in fitness and business and entrepreneurship and really just personal growth developing themselves, what would be a last parting piece of wisdom? And even actually talk to the studio owner who's maybe um, but a future studio owner who's making that 20 grand a month but needs to get to that $83,333. What would be one piece of advice to help them get them there? Find a couple friends that are already doing it. Like li- literally go out of your way and start making friends that are doing that. It, I, I, can't, I know I kind of address it and I feel like it should get something new to you, but in reality, that's helped me more than anything is finding ways to take people to lunch. Whenever I hit a hard point in my life in a certain area, I'll go, who, who would solve this problem really well? Who would be really great at this? I just did it recently with this guy, Dave Berg, and Lauren Howard, two guys actually. And I just said, hey, can we go to lunch? Can we do something? I'd love to take you to lunch, my treat. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. One guy invited me over to his house for, we had a cigar and scotch for like four and a half hours. Totally helped, right? It was exactly what I needed to hear. And the other guy, we just had steak over lunch and it was fun. but. Just even hearing how they're going about solving the problem, not only helps me see this better, but also solve future similar problems without necessarily needing them as much. And maybe and also being able to help others. So totally. that's the biggest thing. And give you a framework on how to, to, to help others. Yeah. Love it, Mike. Well, uh, dude, man, super grateful. This has been an awesome chat. Like, you got the gift of gab. I learned a lot, and uh, viewers, I know you did as well. Um, before we shoot, where can our audience connect you at? with you at? Um, you can, my Instagram handle is Mike RC Live, so 
I'm sure you'll have it digitally up here as yep. well. But yeah, my last name spelled A-R-C-E and then live. Easy as that. Uh, well, Mike, before we go, I just want to take a second to acknowledge you. Um, appreciate you coming out. I just love your drive, your termination, uh, your leadership, uh, the fact that your vision um, is just absolutely incredible. And uh, I also want to acknowledge you personally for um, you know, making the time, but also just being a caring husband, uh, father of four, and you can just kind of feel that genuineness about you. And uh, I appreciate that. Our audience appreciates that, and I want to acknowledge you for that. So I appreciate it too. And you're a good host. It's good questions. This is actually fun. So it's oh. good, good questions. Awesome. Thanks, Bryce. You got it, my friend. Well, uh, thanks for uh, you viewers at home as well. And always, if you can go ahead and give us a like and subscribe on YouTube, assuming you got value, which I know you did, that will help us provide this content for you. Uh, for free. So thanks again, Mike. Appreciate your time, my buddy. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys.